grad students and Ph.D. candidates rejoice as their debts are dumped on the backs of plumbers and factory workers. But will the student loan tactic by President Biden pour gasoline on the inflationary fire? Plus, the war between teachers unions and parents last year in Virginia and New Jersey has gone national. We talk education this week on The Midnight Ride. Come educate yourself. Let's go. It's Monday, August 29th, 2022, just 70 days, 10 weeks exactly before the American people send a message to Washington, whether they like this socialist utopia or they reject it. And you are listening to your home for misinformation, disinformation, also known as the truth, the Midnight Ride podcast. I'm Connor Coughlin. I'm joined by the guy who was the best man at my wedding, Paul Runyon. Paul. What's going on? Another momentous week as we ramp up for this election. Trump. Very bad. Oh, oh, sorry. I was distracted. I was reading the affidavit. My apologies. That was the redacted version yeah, did, uh, that came out. Yeah. Did you ever see the, the movie Spies Like Us? I did, but it was so long ago, I'd have to see it again. So uh, to refresh some of our... Our older viewers, probably the ones that are on Relief Factor right now, and then the, and then our younger viewers who may not have seen it, this was a hilarious movie from the 1980s where Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd were these sort of losers in the working in the Pentagon and and became recruited as these decoy CIA operatives, and at one point, and they were recruited by saying, "Hey, we'll pay off some of your college loans if you." If you uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So they, he's doing, Chevy Chase is doing this press conference and they start asking him about all this like top secret information. And he's up there at the microphone and he pretends that the microphone's having a malfunction. And so he's, he's talking like, bleh, 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 so nobody can hear him. And then he's like, thank you very much. And walks off the stage. That was my, uh, my impetus for the affidavit, because that's essentially what they did. I think it had about five words in it, and then the rest was just all blacked out. So uh, very interesting reading. Probably uh, if you're going to read it before bedtime, it's the world's shortest document in the history of the world. So you can read from that what you will. The online we saw a lot of, uh, and by the way, for the uh, 20% of our millennial you know, audience, that would be like in the scene in Top Gun Maverick, where Maverick is basically pretends like the mic is busted so he doesn't have to land the plane but yeah that, that i do remember that scene hilarious stuff and and not so hilarious what you point out about the federal government president biden who talked about transparency and uh, his fbi and his justice department are covering up what increasingly appears to be a political hit job of their opponent in the next election which is exactly what they accused president trump of doing when he made that phone call to Mr. I think it was Zelensky back when he was president inquiring about the Hunter Biden corruption. Nevertheless, speaking of President Biden, the big news this week, the big news that everybody talked about for about a day, and now they hope this story goes away. We will not let it go away. In fact, we'll be talking about it every show until the election probably, is the bribe, the student loan forgiveness plan. So I want to 
just start by by getting into the the basics of the facts. President Biden, who was flanked by his idiot education secretary Miguel Cardona, basically stood up there and as the omnipotent ruler. Can you say Miguel Cardona again? Because I don't think I pronounce it right. I say Cardona. Miguel Cardona. Cardona. Okay. All right. <laughs> you don't have to roll the R because it's only one R. Okay. You know, but it's just, it's, yeah, it's just like the tongue hitting the roof of your mouth. Cardona. Look, my personal belief is when you come to America, your name is spoken with an American accent. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Call me Donald Trump, but that's just my belief. All right. Miguel Cardona was up there. And, uh, you know, remember when, when this, this has been discussed as a, as a promise, you know, AOC and, and Bernie Sanders were standing over his left shoulder for the last 20 months saying, Hey, you promised, you promised. I mean, they, they wanted to forgive all of the student debt, but when this was brought up in front of the speaker of the house, uh, Nancy Pelosi, she said, the president doesn't have the authority to do this. I want you to touch on that. But after I explain this, but the president basically said, we are waiving, I am waiving $10,000 of student loans for all uh, students who are under a certain income level. And actually for all students. So basically $10,000 for everybody who has outstanding student loan debt in excess of $10,000, that is all forgiven. And for those who qualify for Pell Grants, and that has certain income levels, you get $20,000 forgiven. Now, of course, it's not actually forgiven. It's dumped on the backs of taxpayers. But this is 43 million Americans that this affects, according to the education department and the president. And 70% of, or 90% of the people who will be getting this relief make $75,000 or less. I'm talking about the uh, Pell Grant folks. So now you can say this because they're not, they don't have a job, right? I mean, they're sitting there in some faculty lounge trying to get their PhD or their, their, their master's degree and they're living, you know, mommy and daddy are spending for their dorm money or whatever. But these are, you know, 32 year old people, 35 year old people sort of these professional student class, right? They go to, they go to college, they never leave, but, but the people who are working their asses off trying to pay for a roof over their head and food for their families, they're going to have to pay for this. What's Runyon's take on this? Well, first of all, the income levels that you mentioned, the restrictions, just to give everybody an idea of what the limits are, you're eligible for this if your family income is below $250,000 a year. So if you're making less than $250,000 as a family, you can get this reduction. But that's not what the president said. Now, is that for the $10,000 or for the $20,000? Uh, that's for all of it. Um, you, just, you can get $20,000 reduction if it's a Pell Grant, $10,000 reduction if it's a, a non-Pell Grant uh, student loan. And... It's $125,000 as an individual and $250,000 as a family are the income limits. So you're essentially, while you are helping people at the $75,000 level with student loans, you're also helping those that are making quite a bit of money and probably don't need the, uh, the assistance at all. Well, yes. The facts are, though, that you know a lot of these people aren't making a quite a bit of money because you know, education and intelligence are not, they're not the same thing. A lot of these people made stupid decisions 
signing loans to get worthless degrees that don't pay anything. You know, some of the careers that, and listen, you know, a lot of these people are elementary school teachers too. And and I, I think there's a good case for them, you know, maybe instead of blanket relief for the woke gender studies majors and, and all of these other idiots who took massive loans to, to pay for PhD, worthless PhDs, maybe they could have done something like the GI Bill for teachers because we have a teacher shortage in this country. You know, that would have been a smart and intelligent policy that maybe even the teachers' unions would back. And we'll talk about teachers' unions. Well, one thing that I was thinking, too, was that not just a GI Bill for teachers, but perhaps the student loan program should be targeted for degrees of need. So engineering, electrical engineering, software development, aerospace engineering, nuclear engineering, teaching. So degrees that of, of people that we need, and maybe that gets adjusted, say, every five to 10 years based on uh, what are the needs of the country? Where are we falling behind? Where are degrees of coming up short? Um, where, where are the shortages in the workplace? Wouldn't that make a lot of sense as opposed to just, you know, fly, here's your philosophy, you know, here's, here's 20 grand to get your philosophy degree. Yeah, I mean, again, Miguel Cardona, I don't know, you know, how qual- what his bona fides are, but Paul Runyon just gave us a, a phenomenal idea. The government has an interest in the education of Americans to further America's interests, right? And so what you propose, Paul, is is actually quite brilliant, which is getting the intellectual capital of our universities directed toward, and we've done this in our history, right? Directed towards things like, you know, space exploration or engineering or, or, or climate, you know, if you want to deal with climate things, you can do that. The drought, how do we deal with that? Yeah, maybe oceanogra- oceanography is, a, is an important degree you can get. Absolutely. Meteorology, those are, those are things that we should study. So I think that's good for a student loan. But the problem is, you're, most of these loans are going towards social sciences. Well, yeah, and also further like woke indoctrination. So essentially the government is underwriting the teaching of a political ideology at liberal arts uh, focused colleges and liberal arts focused degrees. And that's, that's achieving a political end, not necessarily our national interest. Well, it's also it's making our country dumber. It's making us weaker. If it was going towards the kind of things you were talking about, America could maintain its position of strength. In some cases, even the Chinese are like, you know what? <laughs> we'll keep our kids here. We they're already communist. Um, we need them to learn the sciences and engineering. That's why we used to send them over there. The the American universe. Listen, I don't believe in university anymore. You and I both have college degrees. You went to a much more distinguished school than I did. You paid back all of your college loans. And I worked really hard to pay those loans back. Yeah. I mean, I, I had to, you know, I had some help from my parents for some of some of the tuition, which I was very grateful for. And then the rest came out of student loans. And when I went to graduate school, it was all student loans. And I had to sort of tighten my belt and I had to like make a payment every month. And when I finally started doing well enough, I started to pay off that principal. But I never took my eye off paying off those loans and working hard to do it. And I guess I'm a sucker. And then now I now I look back and I I realized that I never had I never should have done that. I should have just not paid, said I couldn't pay, and then have the government do it for me. Well, you're a sucker. And, you know, maybe I am too. You know, my story is 
No one in my family went to college. You know, my father was a pretty smart man. He did like to work with his hands. He was a carpenter and a contractor, and, and that was his life. But he often talked about, I mean, the pre- President Biden himself, when he made this announcement, said, my dad didn't go to college, but he wanted me to be a college man. President Biden's dad was a used car salesman. Why am I not surprised at that? Um, his, his, in, in selling this, and we'll, we'll, we'll show you his used car salesmanship and, and how he said, he, we're going to pay for this in a second. But my, you know, my dad was like you know, Joe Biden's dad. You know, he, he would have liked to have gone to college. That wasn't an option for him. And that was sort of the thing for me. You know, I was 18 years old. I couldn't afford to go to college. I have always been taught not to borrow money. So for me, it was like, I can work part-time or full-time and go to school part-time at night. And that didn't appeal to me. So I ended up joining the military. And, you know, there are assistance, tuition assistance programs in the military that paid off my entire tuition. So I didn't, I didn't have any loans. Then I went, you know, into the private sector and I was working with a lot of people who resented the fact that I didn't have loans that, and they were paying off their loans and I had no debt. But yeah, I mean, so you're a sucker, I'm a sucker. And essentially the way I see this, Paul, is that this is a bribe in advance of the midterms. Everybody who had student debt gets a lot of it taken off or all of it taken off. And those who who don't, they get their payments punted until guess what? December, after the midterms. This is vote buying. It's completely vote buying. And it's not only vote buying itself, but this whole student loan, you know, it is like a student loan industrial complex. It gives you an idea of where the priorities are, right? So academia, for example, is, as we know, is a a huge constituency of the Democratic Party. They, They are kind of like the indoctrination, you know, centers of of wokeness, as we've talked a little bit about. Mm -hmm. And there have been a lot of studies out there that have shown that the main beneficiary of student loans, which were invented during the, from the Higher Education Act of 1965, are actually not the students, but the universities themselves by allowing them to increase their tuition and living off government largesse. Now, this is something that was first publicized by William Bennett. It was a theory that he came up with. Um, He was the former Secretary of Education during the presidency of Ronald Reagan, and he presented a theory in an article that he titled, Our Greedy Colleges. And the idea was, if one was to start with a college that was totally free, without tuition or fees, and the government came and told students that they could get $5,000 in college loans for their tuition, Any college would be an idiot not to raise their tuition up to $5,000 to get money out of the situation. So in other words, when the government increases subsidies by a dollar, colleges will match that amount in raising college tuition. It's free money for colleges. There'd be no reason not to raise the tuition and reap the benefits. Therefore, by offering loans to students, the government isn't giving money to students, but to universities. Interesting theory. And isn't the same thing kind of playing out? I don't know. I haven't been to a, you know, looking at car buying electric cars lately, but the tax subsidies for electric vehicles, you know, I would suspect that some of these auto dealers knowing that, you know, there's a the tax credit for these folks are raising the price of those vehicles by about the same amount, I would imagine. 
Well, exactly. I mean, that will happen. So for example, with the electric vehicles, they put, you know, a SUV under $80,000 qualifies. So it, people could just raise the prices all the way up to 79999 That's right. To make, to make sure that they get the subsidies. So there was actually, you know, it was an interesting theory and people are like, well, does that make sense or not? So the New York Federal Reserve did a study. They did a testimony before Congress in 2015, or 2015 and they found evidence of a causal link between student loan availability and tuition. So um, essentially, to give you an idea of what this study came up with, and this is from Ballotpedia, uh, researchers with the Federal Reserve Bank of New York examined the effects of increasing the maximum Pell Grant on tuition at 1,060 post-secondary institutions. They concluded that a dollar increase in the maximum Pell Grant award resulted in a 37-cent increase in tuition. So uh, moreover, financial aid provided by states and or universities did not offset the tuition increases. There was another study by an economist named Leslie Turner that said that schools captured an average of 15% of Pell Pell Grant awards. So that means that in addition to the 37% tuition increase, they also were able to reduce their own financial aid by 15% to capture that additional revenue from the federal government. And then uh, even more, so nonprofit institutions captured 31% of every Pell Grant dollar, while more selective nonprofit institutions, like very, you know, ones that are sort of high, I would say more competitive, captured 75 cents of every Pell Grant dollar. So essentially, this money is just being transferred from the federal government to the universities, not to the students themselves. And at the end of the day, the students were on the hook with these loans. It's a scam. It's a business. I mean, I, I, I would expect nothing less. I mean, President Biden's wife, Dr. Jill Biden, is a professional educator. She doesn't have a PhD, by the way, but she ha- I think she has something called an, an ED degree or something. It's, it's education-related that gets you that title of doctor. Elizabeth Warren, one of the most shrill and powerful voices. Dr. Warren. Dr. Warren. You know, she herself was paid like $400,000 by Harvard to teach like one class. And then she's out there decrying the the costs of uh, tuition and fees, which go up every year and the government subsidizes it. And that's why. Getting back to the moral argument for just a second, our tweet of the week is from Redacted at Phil Holloway Esquire, ESQ. This guy is a legal analyst and a fellow podcaster, but he sums up the thoughts of all sane Americans. And if I was getting the this relief, I would I would be embarrassed and I would feel bad. But you know, hey, if 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 you're one of these folks, congratulations. You know, the federal government has given you a new lease on life, and I hope you use it. But just know that you're hurting other people, okay? And and here's the tweet from Phil Holloway. Um, Again, at Phil Holloway ESQ. Not only is student loan cancellation vote buying, but it's a slap in the face to everyone who worked their way through school and who worked their asses off to pay off their own debt. It's an immoral act of plunder by government use of force against all taxpayers. I didn't sign your loan contract. I didn't tell you to get a degree that wouldn't help you get a good paycheck. I am not responsible for your choices. That is so true. It is so true. And, you know, it goes back to, it's the same thing. It's just like the PPP loans, right? 
It's like uh, the businesses that got these PPP loans, they had no impact from COVID. They were able to get those loans forgiven. There were no rules on them. They just got taken. And this is another thing as well. And these student loans, people took these loans out and now the government's just forgiving them. And essentially all this is going to do is cause universities to raise their tuition even more. Yeah. It's going to keep going up. It's not, it's not addressing the problem at all. No, it's not. And it, it didn't happen in a, va- in a vacuum. I mean, this happened while America was experiencing, is experiencing record inflation. And this president, you know, again, this isn't Joe Schumer, excuse me, this isn't Chuck Schumer and, and uh, Nancy Pelosi that are doing this. In fact, Pelosi said the president didn't have the- It's essentially, it's essentially Joe Schumer. Should we call it like Joe Pelosi Schumer? It's like one big multi-headed monster. Sure. So I think your Freudian slip was actually pretty accurate. Yeah, well, you know, but Pelosi herself said that he didn't have the authority to do this. But while all this inflation is going on, you know, I've seen estimates on this, Paul, that this is going to cost- Upward of five hundred million. I've seen seven hundred million. Well, billion, not million. Yeah, uh, sorry, with a B. Uh, <laughs> five hundred, seven hundred billion. Just cut a check while all this inflation stuff is going on. And as you just pointed out, all this is going to do is reduce any stigma on universities or pressure to reduce their fees. In fact, they're going to continue to go up, and that's just in the. That's just for tuition. This could have a major reflect, uh, impact on inflation writ large. And the president, who you know was a poor student at the University of Delaware, he was a an awful law student at Syracuse. In fact, he almost got kicked out his freshman year for plagiarizing one of his papers. Apparently, doesn't understand the economy too well. Listen to the president talk about how this thing's going to be paid for. Play the clip. By resuming student loan payments at the same time as we provide targeted relief, we're taking an economically responsible course. As a consequence, about $50 billion a year will start coming back into the the Treasury because of resumption of debt. Independent experts agree that these actions taken together will provide real benefits for families without meaningful effect on inflation. That makes literally no sense, Paul. I mean, he's essentially saying, look, these people over here, we're going to re- we're going to wipe off all of their debt or some of it. But because we're going to start collecting the debt payments from these other people over here in December, that is going to make sure that there's no significant impact on inflation. That, that makes no sense. They're going to basically write a check for seven hundred billion dollars. Of course, there's going to be impact on inflation. And he he went on to say, we, we cut the clip short, but he went on to say, look, I have cut the deficit more than anybody else in history. And again, that's, that's just smoke and mirrors. It's a very dishonest argument. Of course, the deficit was at record levels because we shut down the economy and we paid off, you know, we, we put all that stimulus in. And so when we went back to normal, there was massive deficit reduction. But a lot of the stuff that he did with you know the American Rescue Plan and all these other things, set off this inflation, and he's about to kick it up even higher. And maybe he timed this so that we won't see it until after the Democrats win in Congress, which I'm not sure they're going to do. But but Paul, I mean, 
he's lying to the American public and he's hoping with his friends in the media that enough Americans don't really notice this. Well, it's not just you coming up with this. Jason Furman, who is the chair of Obama's Council of Economic Advisors, that's sort of the the V organization that kind of advises the president on things having to do with the economy and inflation. Mm -hmm. He came out against this and he has a really interesting thread on Twitter, which I'm amazed that Twitter hasn't suspended him yet for putting out this viewpoint. But uh, he said, pouring roughly half a trillion dollars of gasoline on the inflationary fire that is already burning is reckless. Doing it while going well beyond one campaign promise 10K of student loan relief and breaking another, all proposals paid for, is even worse. You, uh, by the way, the claim that it won't, and this is Furman again, the claim it won't raise inflation is based on the construction worker going from permanently paying zero interest to paying $31 a month at an annual cost of $372. And he's using this construction worker example because the White House put out a fact sheet which only had sympathetic examples, so about a construction worker or a married nurse. But the reality is that uh, the policy also provides relief for people making up to $249,000, including law and business school students. So his example there says, you can't use one baseline interest by suspending interest payments to argue this will constrain demand. And then a different baseline restoring interest payments to describe the benefits. It's incoherent, inconsistent, and indefensible. Cherry-picking. I hope the White House doesn't do it. it. It's completely incoherent. It doesn't make any sense. And, you know, I mean, listen, there are people out there, like I said, people studying elementary education, low-income people who, you know, as the president pointed out in his press conference, Pell Grants used to cover 80% of the costs of a degree. Now it's about a third of the cost. Like, that's a real problem, but you don't fix that by doing this. In fact, you're going you're gonna to increase this in the future. This, ad, this administration does not understand economics because they're essentially the powerful wing of the party. They are socialists. And so they don't care. But I want to talk about the, the one. Th so, and we've talked about as this show has gone on, you know, we're approaching our first, you know, we're approaching our one year anniversary here on the Midnight Ride. And we've talked a lot about things like not allowing landlords to evict, you know, an eviction moratorium that was put forth by the Centers for Disease Control and, and other policies put forth by these federal agencies. President Biden, does he even have the authority to do this? And will this even stand? I pray it doesn't. Well, that's a really good question, Connor. And to give people a background of what, what the justification is for this, they're using what's called the Higher Education Relief Opportunities for Students Heroes Act of 2003. Originally, they did that as a way to protect service members that were being called up uh, as a result of 9-11 and the wars uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan to be able to pause their student loan payments or forgive some student loans as a result of that national emergency. So a very noble, a very noble act by Congress to protect those who are going off to risk their lives for our country. 
Exactly. So what it says is it allows the Department of Education to waive or modify any statutory or regulatory provision applicable to the Title IV loan programs as the secretary deems necessary to ensure that individuals adversely affected by a presidential declared national emergency are not placed in a worse position financially. So now what the Biden administration did was they did a pair of legal memorandums that were put out before this student loan, you know, they made this decision on the student loans to use the HEROES Act as an excuse to uh, forgive these loans. And what do you think the national emergency was that they cited? COVID-19. Of course, the national emergency that is now going to be used for everything going forward. The first memo, which was issued by the U.S. Department of Justice Office of Legal Counsel, summarizes that the HEROES Act grants the Secretary of Education authority to reduce or eliminate the obligation to repay the principal balance of federal student loan debt, including on a class-wide basis in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, provided all other requirements of the statute of the statute are satisfied. Describing the, the DOE's authority as expansive, the memo says that it's intended to make sure that recipients of student financial assistance are not placed in a worse position financially in relation to the financial assistance because of a national emergency. So there you go. It's literally identical to the eviction moratorium uh, and several of the other things. And I, I can see legal challenges coming as a result of this. There had better be. My blood is boiling just just listening to this. Now, and but the thing is, the media is that hasn't talked about this. I mean, I see this. I'm finding these things on sort of like legal, you know, like lawjournal.com and lawandcrime.com, like some very specific lawyer sites where they actually quote the act. But I haven't heard the media at all talking about COVID-19 as the reason that they're forgiving these loans. I mean, I understand that they suspended the interest payments for a little while, and it's obviously time for those to come to an end. And as you mentioned, President Biden's doing that at right after the midterms. But they're using COVID as an excuse for all of the student loan forgiveness. Yeah. No, the media the media is not talking about it. And, you know, a lot of people in the American public think, well, the president is like the king. He can do all this stuff. No, he cannot. This deals with this is money. Right. So this this normally would have to be congressional authority. Like you said, the HEROES Act was passed by Congress because it dealt with money. The president is invoking these emergency powers like he did when he said that the medical, you know, the epidemiologists at the CDC could tell a landlord whether or not he could have control over his own property. And and by the way, journalists uh, benefit from this greatly because they, you know, people who study journalism, radio, TV, and film, et cetera, they're often in a very low paying profession. They can't pay back their loans. Professors also benefit from this as well. They take loans out to get their PhDs to, you know, in gender studies, and then they become professors in gender studies, and they have to pay their loans off. They become huge beneficiaries of this. The income level that they chose just seemed a little arbitrary to me, 125. I'm curious who all comes in under 125. But make no mistake, just as they have done with the the boondoggle, you know, the... And it's not just 125. It's a, it's a family couple that is at 250. So if let's say you have a college professor making 200 
and you know, the spouse doesn't work, that still counts. And his husband doesn't work. Yeah. No, got it. Yeah. His husband doesn't or their partner. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Some interesting accounting there. It's just, it's an outrage, Paul. I mean, it, it really is. And the media is, is not talking about it because really it, it won't stand up. I'm wondering when the court challenges will start on this. Well, I'm interested. First of all, in order to sue for something like this, someone is going to have, has to have standing, right? So my question is, who has standing to bring a suit? Who's going to be impacted by this? I would say, in my opinion, and I'm of course not an attorney or a judge or anything, but I would think that somebody like me who paid off all of his student loans would be somebody that has standing. Mm-hmm. Because I would think that there's not, you're not getting equal protection under the law or any kind of due process when somebody that had to pay off the loans uh, is getting no benefit uh, than somebody that didn't is getting benefit. I would think that, that there is some sort of standing there. I would wonder, does a blue collar worker that never went to college, that didn't take out loans? Because they couldn't afford it. Wouldn't they have standing? Yeah. Um, I don't know if they would have standing because it's it's much more in a general sense because the standing would would be, you know, our, what's your impact? And you could say, well, the government's printing more money. It's going to cause more inflation. That's hurting me. I don't know. I think, I think somebody with standing, especially somebody that say, let's say they paid off their student loans like a few weeks before this was announced. Yep. Right? I mean, that seems like somebody that would, that would have standing. So they would then have to sue in federal court. And you've just got to hope that uh, there's enough appeals that it gets to the Supreme Court. Because I have a feeling that with, I feel like the case really would be that the government doesn't have the authority to do it. And I think that it would be, they use the same statute, the same legal opinion that overturned the expansiveness of the Environmental Protection Agency that that the, we talked about that a few weeks ago on a, on a previous episode. Also, the administrative law judges that the government was using. It goes back to the executive branch taking these congressional laws and twisting the words around and using vague language to essentially say the government can do whatever it wants. And that's, and that's what they're doing. I, I should point out that it was President Donald Trump back in March of 2020 who you know, declared a moratorium on student loan payments. That has been extended now seven times. Seven times. Seven times. So these folks, and it was, it was President Trump who did it, and, and it made sense when he did it because the economy shut down. Anybody that had a job, many people were out of work um, or they had other concerns. I mean, they couldn't pay their bills. So that makes sense. Now, more than two years later, two and a half years later, it doesn't make as much sense. And if these people haven't had to pay for those two and a half years, then they should be able to pay now. Um, I want to talk real quick about the political gamble that the president is taking here. I don't know that this was something that Joe Biden wanted or, or or saw the value in before, but he did make this promise as part of his hand campaign that there would be some relief. I don't know if he really wanted to do it, but the AOCs and the Liz Warrens and the Bernie Sanders were demanding this. And at some point, these young progressive voters who, you know, hopefully do not find their way into the, the ballot booth for the midterms, they, a lot of their, those folks don't, but they had to do it. It, it was it was a bribe of sorts, but it's a gamble that he knew could blow up in his face. A lot of Americans are upset about this, and uh, 
does this mean that the Democratic Party is really concerned that the the polling data that we've been seeing over the last three weeks is not accurate, that they are facing real problems? Uh, I think they are facing real problems coming up in the midterms. And this is obviously, they're sort of throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks to help them in these midterms. What's interesting about the Higher Education Act, which is what authorized these student loans and all of it, is that the biggest proponent of these, and I'll give you an idea, on the 50th anniversary of the passage of the National Education, of the uh, Higher Education Act, the National Education Association, the NEA, which is the, the association that lobbies for the teachers unions, that's essentially the, the big group. Randy Weingarten? Yeah, Rand, that's Randy Weingarten's group, lauded the, Nash, the Higher Education Act, saying that it's making college education affordable to, quote, millions of smart, low- and middle-income Americans by establishing need-based grants, work-study opportunities, and federal student loans. You know, really, they're saying that, but I think we know that the teachers' unions realize that it's benefiting them in their pockets. And that's what's, that's the biggest beneficiary are unions of educators. Who are, by the way, the biggest contributors and the most powerful contributor to the Democratic Party right now in places like California and maybe nationally. Well, we'll see how this plays out, you know, going forward in the midterms. But let, let's, speaking of teachers unions, let's shift now to another issue that's going to be big in the midterms. And, and let's just for a second reflect on the 2021 election, the off-year election in Virginia, where Terry McAuliffe was defeated in a surprise in a solidly blue state by Glenn Youngkin, who ran on this platform of parental rights. And we are seeing it rear its ugly head or rear its head again in Florida in one place. This past week, Governor Ron DeSantis suspended four members of the Broward County School Board. And we've seen a lot of stuff going on in Florida with woke school districts and parents it's happening again, Paul. It's, this is going to be, even with all of the economic issues that, you know, Republicans can just say, hey, look at your, your checking account balance and tell me if you want more of this. But they can also point to these teachers unions and these school boards. And I think, you know, Ron DeSantis has figured this out. I think every Republican in America should be looking at this issue. Well, the reason that I, you know, I talked about, we talked about the Democrats still being on the ropes and being incredibly worried is that a political earthquake happened in Florida this past week that no one has really talked about. And essentially, Ron DeSantis sort of got behind, uh, and, and you know, it's very rare for governors to get so involved in races for school boards. The, the Florida school board races are nonpartisan, technically, right? So you know you have conservative school boards and you have uh, members and liberal people running. So, But the governor decided to weigh into these races and he endorsed candidates across very, you know, across multiple counties in the state. That's interesting. I would be like a little nervous doing that, right? Exactly. Well, he's always been known to, to take risk. So what happened essentially as a result of that was the general election for school board was at, across Florida was actually on August 23rd. Most people thought it was the general election, but it wasn't. It was on the primary day. Um, and a lot of those 
became a real earthquake happened. And I think in across the state of Florida, almost every county in the state is now controlled by conservatives, I think for except for one or two. And it's not just that every county is controlled by conservatives. It's that roughly, I believe it's 17 or 18 counties in Florida flipped from being controlled by liberal school board members to being contributed by to to being controlled by conservative school board members including the fifth largest school district in the country which is Miami-Dade. Miami-Dade is now has a conservative school board for the first time in memory. I mean, I can't even remember the last time it happened. And this is because parents not only did Governor DeSantis step in, but parents got involved they went to the school board meetings. They showed up to vote during uh, on a primary election, which normally sees low turnout. And this is an earthquake that the state of Florida has never seen. And I don't even think Virginia in 2021 saw an earthquake like this. To have almost every single school board now, including Jacksonville, including Miami. I think the only one left that's liberal in Florida right now is Hillsborough, which is Tampa, Hillsborough County. But just to imagine that. And then, of course, as you said, a few days later, a state grand jury came out across the state, which was looking into the Parkland Marjorie Stoneman Douglas uh, high school shootings and came out and talked about malfeasance on the part of the of the school board in Broward County. And Broward County is the, you know, the most liberal county in the state. It's the one that, um, you know, Debbie Wasserman Schultz's district. So that, of course, has always had a completely liberal school board. And DeSantis suspended four school board members in Broward County and replaced them with conservative school board members just uh, a few days ago as a result of the grand jury ruling uh, and opinion of their incompetence and malfeasance and inability to have a secure school. So now you've got essentially every single um, school board in the state, except for Hillsborough, has been controlled by conservatives. Pretty interesting and another one that you really don't hear about in the media. Yeah, I'm not sure I like the fact that he replaced them with other folks. But I mean, I, I'm, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but what, what did this grand jury find and what was the malfeasance? I mean, that's a pretty big deal. The will of the voters getting rid of those folks and installing new people, right? Yeah, well, essentially, the uh, this is obviously not without controversy. So, and there's going to have to be a special election for these school board replacements. And of course, I'm sure it's going to go back to liberal again because it's it's Broward, and that's just how it is. But the grand jury said that several uh, that the school board ignored school safety prerogatives and directives that were put into place after Parkland, and they found continual school alarms being inoperable, doors being not locked, school safety not being present, you know, police officers not being present. A lot of the things that were put in place after Stoneman Douglas to, uh, you know, through state law to help make the schools safer were being uh, purposefully ignored by the Broward County School Board, which is a violation of state law. And the government has the right to uh, replace people that are not following, refusing to follow state law, just like he did with um, this prosecutor uh, a few weeks ago. I think we briefly mentioned that on an episode a couple weeks ago. So he used the same authority to do that. Not without controversy. I'm not necessarily saying 
you know, my opinion one way or the other, I'm not sure whether he went too far or not. It's very possible that he did. But uh, for now, the Broward County School Board is conservative, like it or not. And as somebody that has children in the Broward County Public Schools, I'm pretty happy about it because I can tell you that uh, um, the Parental Rights and Education Act is being completely ignored by the Broward County Public Schools. So it'll be nice to, to see what happens as a result of this. Just some some context for what's going on nationally, because I think Florida is going to be that that is a very the Miami-Dade school board is could be a bellwether of sorts. We've seen this in other school board elections around the country since the Virginia earthquake that occurred up there in Loudoun County and, and Fairfax County and Yunkin winning there. And Governor Yunkin has remained committed to weeding out some of these woke elements. It's it's going to be tough. These are some of the the most, you know, these are like the weeds in your yard that have, you know, super strong roots. It's going to take years potentially, but what it really is going to take is for people to be educated on what's going on. But just the context, we had Randy Weidgarten in some sort of correspondence with Attorney General Merrick Garland, wherein whatever she said to him he came back and said, look, if you want me to help you, I need a letter. So a letter came in from them and parents were labeled as domestic terrorists, you know, because these school board meetings were getting contentious. Why were they getting contentious? Well, we had at least one rape in a bathroom up in Northern Virginia where a boy who quote unquote identified as a girl raped a girl and it was lied. The, the parents were lied to. They were told there were no problems that were going on. We have Nationally, we have lots of pornography. I mean, books in middle school and high school libraries that detail gay sex and how to get on Grinder and, and all of this stuff. We have woke ideology where teachers, kindergarten teachers, second grade teachers, they're telling children that the, the idea that, you know, your birth certificate says that you are a boy or a girl is a guess on the part of the doctor, but only you can decide your gender. This stuff is going on nationally. And so we are starting to see parents as they, as they are awakening to the, it's an awakening of the parents. And, uh, this is one across, across political lines. This is why the Democrats are losing the Hispanic vote now, because their cultural and religious beliefs, they're not buying into this. So this this is a huge thing that I think every Republican should seize on. Well, and they should seize on it nationally. And one last thing I want to say, because I know we're out of time for today, Charlie Crist, uh, the biggest p political chameleon of all time running against Governor DeSantis, has decided to apparently commit political suicide by announcing that Carla Hernandez Matz, the president of the Miami-Dade County Teachers Union, is his running mate for uh, Carla Marx. Yeah, Carla Marx uh, is the uh, is his running mate for lieutenant governor. So let's uh, let the the listeners of the Midnight Ride let that sink in, and they can make their decision as who they're going to vote for. Well, it's it's very much like uh, the 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 guy up there in Virginia, McAuliffe. Him, he doubled down as well. This was a blind spot for him, and apparently Charlie Crist did not learn his lesson there. All parents need to vote in November on this issue. And we're out of time, and we just want to thank you for listening to The Midnight Ride. Please continue to tell friends about our podcast. We very much appreciate you listening to us. For Paul Runyon, I'm Connor Coughlin. We'll see you next week on another edition of the Midnight Ride Podcast.